it's the nature of all things that arise. In other words, everything that exists. It's the nature of all things that arise to pass away. And this is a big part of what we've been uh, reflecting on on this retreat. And it could not be any other way, right? This is how the universe works. This is how the universe is. And so, of course, this is also true for retreats. They have a beginning. They persist for some period of time. And they have an ending. I remember one of my very first retreats driving home in tears after spending, I forgot to say, 10 days practicing non-clinging. I was clinging worse than ever to the, uh, the beautiful meditative states that I was about to lose. And so each of us, you know, we're uh, going to be tomorrow and the retreat will come to its end and we'll move into uh, a different form. And I like the idea uh, that you hear often. They say, you know, the retreat never ends. It's just the, refor- the form changes, which is, a, uh, I think, really a nice way to, to hold it. If you can remember to think of it that way, it can be supportive. And no, it's just a different form. You know, how can we, what will support us to be more present, more kind, open-hearted, less reactive, more at peace in this form of the retreat now, whatever that is, that we call daily life. And that'll vary, of course, so much for each one of us. It's so common for people to judge their, not only their meditation, but in the broader sense, their Dharma practice in terms of samadhi, concentration. How concentrated are they? Very, very common. Maybe we all fall into that sometimes. And, uh, and maybe you have some idea that whatever enlightenment is, it would be, I've heard this before, it's like you're going to enter some, I don't know what, transcendent meditative state and you're kind of permanently in that. And, but it's not like that. You know, um, meditative states are, um, they're conditioned states. And it comes and it goes. And so we have what we call daily life consciousness. And of course, it's not just fixed as one thing. And there's retreat consciousness. And we certainly can see that's not fixed as just one thing. But for some people, it can feel like quite, in, ge- as a, in general, a big a disconnect between retreats and daily life. And um, so the question is, what from our retreat practice um, is going to be of value when, when we're back in daily life? And certainly, to whatever degree, whether it's not been much or it's been a lot, the built training our mind to be more settled, less distracted, less jumping all over the place, of course that's a tremendous benefit. And those benefits can carry even if we don't, re- even if we lose that, we get back and you know, you may think, well, I'll get back home and you know, I'm going to meditate two hours a day when I get home. That's What's the big deal with that? It just doesn't feel like much at all compared to the retreat or whatever. And then we get home and, you know, life fills in. And of course, it looks different for all of us. And there are certainly plenty of people who do maintain formal meditation practices in their daily life. And many, many people who uh, it's challenging to do. Jobs, families, just everything we're involved in. So, um, you know, we come back and we do the best we can. So you may, you know, continue practicing in a formal way, continue, you know, maintain some degree of, 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 of steadiness and stillness that comes either out of the formal sitting or just out of bringing your mindfulness into, uh, into your daily life. And yes, that's of great importance. And of course, I think formal sitting is 
well, we all think formal sitting is important or you wouldn't be here and have done so much of it or whatever formal practice looks like for you. It doesn't have to be sitting. But there are actually quite a number of qualities that we've been cultivating that can support us um, that are important other than just uh, how deep in, in meditation you know, your samadhi is. So we want to be careful about how we judge, uh, judge ourselves and our practice. Especially, I think that's just not a... Not, I mean, we want to have some discernment to know if our, it was one of the contemplations. In the, um, in the third tetrad, it was pointing to, you, you know if your mind's concentrated, you know if it's unconcentrated. So of course we want to be aware of how our minds are. But these states come and go. It's not about trying to hold on to that. Uh, what else will support us? Learning to uh, open our hearts to the whole range of, of experiences, the whole range of our lives. And that includes our living situations, our interpersonal situations, our work situations, right? And so not judging it by... Um, uh, how well or poorly we think we do it, but it's actually, it's, it's just the process of being engaged in doing the best we can, you know, that, that's the practice, you know, not by and judging ourselves so much by some criteria. So learning to open our hearts is another quality uh, that, can, that can be supported by a steady, concentrated mind, but it's not the same thing. Just clarity of mindfulness, bringing mindfulness, not in a struggling way, but in the best way we can, right? Uh, is another. And there's all these qualities, we could list more and more of them. Uh, so it's not just one thing that support us in retreat and that do carry through into daily life and sometimes in ways that we don't realize. Um, this is kind of a, I guess, kind of a cliche, but uh, oftentimes cliches are cliches because they, you know, they really are true. So here's one that is true. It's not possible for you to be the same person in leaving a retreat as you were when you came in. Not possible. Right. You've had other experiences, some time, every, you know, your body's not even the same, right? Some of the feels like, yep, it's the same body, but um, some parts have been changed out, right? Some of the cells are gone, maybe some new ones in there, right? Your body's in some ways is not exactly the same. Your mind, our conditioned patterns uh, uh, shift. And sometimes it's in ways that we may not notice in just a difference in one day or in one week. Sometimes we can actually, something can really uh, affect us very powerfully and we're quite aware of we're not quite the same. It doesn't mean you can never fall into the old pattern, but something's really shifted and we, it's quite a noticeable uh, shift. And other times these things are building and you have to look back over five years, 10 years, 20 years, and then you notice. Matter of fact, I'll ask you, here, here's a little um, uh, exercise you can do, a little experiment if you wish to participate. Think back, you pick your time frame. 10, 20 years ago. Can you find one thing in your life, anything, an area in your life where you really used to struggle and suffer a lot that you can look at and you say, you know, around this one thing, I, I don't suffer as much as I used to. Just my natural way of being with maybe when I'm not even thinking about it, it's just shifted. If you can find anything like that, that's a shift that happen, right? And they build. Sometimes we don't notice it. Maybe, you've, maybe the thing you're thinking of now, you're aware that you've gained a lot more freedom around it. Maybe you don't even know how that happened. Or <clears throat> uh, maybe you hadn't noticed until just now and you go, wow, you're right. Because sometimes we don't notice. Right? These things might build. So even uh, some of these shifts start to happen that we don't notice ab about sometimes about condition patterns because, and this is the good news, in whatever way you apply your mind, those are the things, the qualities, the patterns that will get strengthened. We're just changing a habit, 
if you want to think of it that way, right? And so because we've spent time here aiming ourselves, remember we, when we started this week, uh, the retreat, we had this, I offered this idea of getting somewhere but not going anywhere at all. And the idea is that, uh, of course, we want to aim ourselves in a path. There's a path of cultivation, and we do want to grow and deepen in the Dharma. So there's a shift that's happening as a change. We're getting something or getting somewhere. And yet, at the same time, the way we do that is most fundamentally we uh, bring the attitude of just how can we be here, but really be here, perhaps in in ways that we hadn't even realized were possible before. And by doing that, not only do we suffer less in our ability to just be with things as they are, but actually you get more, you get what you want faster anyway. You know, if you want more samadhi, you can want it, but the attitude has to be of a letting go and just dropping here because the deeper stages of samadhi actually are not stages of gaining, they're stages of letting go. That's true. So the more we're able to relax and just be in the present moment, that actually uh, furthers, that serves to further us there, right? <clears throat> One of the qualities that I want to uh, focus on tonight and that I, um, and I hope uh, you can reflect on that I think can really serve us tremendously, both on retreats for sure, but uh, I think it's just foundational in daily life, is intention. And um, actually, I'm going to add in also aspiration. Aspiration and, and intention is not the same thing, but um, maybe we have a certain aspiration and then our intentions come out of that maybe, right? Or maybe they support each other. <clears throat> Some of us may have taken, t maybe we do take times in our lives to specifically, purposely, to consciously reflect on intention. Maybe it's words, ver a verbal reflection. Maybe it's just a feeling into, not more nonverbal sense of something. And per I know people who every day when they wake up or at some time before they start their day, just take, and it might just be, a few seconds, 10 seconds or 30 seconds. It doesn't have to be a big long meditation or it could be, it's whatever, longer. Or other times people just through the day if they can remember, you know, it's easy to forget, but just from time to time. And they've spent time reflecting and getting in touch with their intentions for, and it can be for, for what? For how you want to use your time, maybe some intentions or aspirations about what qualities are important to you, what you want your day to be about, what, what you want your life to be about, what, what's important and most value to you or most importance. And by making that more conscious, that comes in and helps to inform how we live rather than just going back and forgetting everything and heading off, you know, kind of in a habitual, unconscious way. And Reflect, taking time to reflect on intention can help us not only when we're mindful, but even when we're not mindful, it can go in and, and, and help shift our natural, habitual way of being. And I should say the way uh, I describe mind, I, you know, all these definitions for mindfulness, my definition is not being on automatic pilot. You know, I think it's, there's lots of definitions out there. That's mine. You can see if it's useful for you. Because sometimes people say, oh, you lost your mindfulness, you went unconscious. Well, we know exactly what's meant, and that's a fine way to talk. I understand that. But in fact, you're not unconscious. You're just caught up in things. You're, I call it being on automatic pilot. We all know, right? And part of what happens over time through practice uh, is that stream of wakefulness carries through. So uh, we're naturally, even when we're not trying to take on mindfulness in daily life as a practice, which is, I think, a great, wonderful, powerful thing to do. But also, it becomes more just a, a way of being. That wakeful mindfulness as a result of, of our practice carries through and we're less on automatic, more, uh, you know, uh, 
more of the time, less on automatic, more of the time, or less deeply lost, less often. So in both cases, um, um, taking some time to really touch into our intention is important. And this is the most important, I think, piece for me is especially when there is, we do have a deep or high intentions and aspirations, but circumstances or the way we feel or whatever is pulling us in a different direction. Then being clear about our intention can really help. So I'll give you an example. I have an aspiration, this is a real aspiration, to live in such a way that my heart never closes off to any living beings. Period. And that's a, that's, a, that's a sincere aspiration I have. And of course, I have many opportunities to see where um, more work needs to be done. I try to hold it with that attitude as best I can, as sincerely as I can. Because if that's really something important to me on a, just a, I would say in the deepest or highest sense, as, as I have some other intentions and aspirations around Dharma too, but that's one. If that's uh, that important to me on a foundational, fundamental level about what I want to be, my life to be about, how I want to be and live, where I want to aim, I would rather see the unwholesome patterns that pull me away than not see them. So if I can hold it there, then, then if something happens that annoys me, you know, I don't go, it's a little odd to say, you know, you're looking for the gift maybe of it, but if now that it's here, that person, that situation, because I've taken the time to reflect on my intention and I've taken the time a lot to reflect on my aspiration, not, just, not even just as verbal, process, but the felt embodied experience of, of that. So I'm familiar with it. I know it. I'm fluent. I have facility with it. I don't have to think. It's just available, right? If you gain skill with something, isn't that true? If there's anything you're good at, you know, I don't know, like if you know how to type, say, on your computer keyboard. I remember, um, I don't know if they do this anymore, but when I was in high school, I, they gave us a typing class. And I remember, I kind of remember your first learning and you just practiced doing A-S-A-S. I don't remember what it was. And you, you don't have any skill at all. Now, isn't it true that I think most people these days probably know how to type, not everyone. It's, it's interesting, you watch it, it's like, what's happening? It's just kind of doing its, its, you know, your mind, you know what you want to say, and then it just, the fingers start going and it goes, right? It's really I love that process. There's something, uh, you know, it feels kind of cool. It's like, wow, it's just kind of going. And <laughs> well, but, it <laughs> but it's pointing to, right, you don't have to think, like, where's the S key or something? It just goes. So it's, we don't have to get necessarily like that, but that's a place to head towards around our intention and aspiration. Especially when you don't want to. So, you know, we can sit here in, you know, the meditation hall, and I don't know if we've really done it on this retreat, but some retreats will do reflections of like guided metta loving kindness practice, and maybe hap- they do it in many different ways. So, for example, like we might sit and reflect, like bring to mind all beings, say, and you, you think, you know, may all beings be happy and peaceful. And sometimes I've found, you know, like I can, I can. My heart can stay open for all beings. Then I get around actual beings. And, you know, that's not always, <laughs> right? It's a different, it can be <laughs> a different thing. What am I going to do then, right? Where's my big aspiration then when, and it's like, I don't want to keep my, because this person, whatever my mind tells me, they're terrible, they're a jerk or whatever. And I don't want to, right? The, the, we have to be respectful of those forces that are pulling us in a different way. I don't mean we have to uh, give them life, but not to be too cavalier or too uh, casual about them. Those are powerful 
conditioned forces. And they'll just take you, if you're not respectful, next thing you know, you're off down some path that you didn't want to go. You know, there's many opportunities that'll come if you hold them as opportunities like that. And I know that that can be easier said than done. No question about it. But so we do the best we can. But we know it's just like when we were talking, in a, you know, last night the question came up around forgiveness and it was, you know, so beautiful. And uh, I really was so appreciative. And um, that was a perfect example. What was not explicit in the question of the note but what was in, imbued in there was an intention, or you could say an aspiration, an intention to get free of old hurts and wounds and grudges and, and all that, right? And people were saying in the notes, you know, how do I work with this when I have a lot of anger still or resentment or whatever? That's a perfect example of uh, the, the real you're not doing anything wrong in a sense. It's doing it to you. You didn't sit down and say, okay, how, how full can I make my mind of hatred, right? Because that's the way I want to be. Nobody's doing that. But it got in there. So these are real forces, right? And we have to, that's what I mean when we say we have to be respectful, of course, of their power. But what came through in the question, right? We read that out last night. The intention was to aim in a different rec- direction, to free themselves from the, for their own sake, but also, so, and that's of course what's really of importance, but also because they didn't want to show up in life or live in a way. They, they actually would like to have gotten to a place towards the other person or other situation that was kindly, that was sort of the, the, the highest ideal. And sometimes those things can feel as far away as my aspiration, which I think is a, you know, it's a pretty idealized aspiration, right? Of uh, uh, living in a way in which my heart is not ever shut off to any beings. I can feel, but I'm not going to say, oh, that's too much. It's not, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what's ultimately possible for human beings around these different things. But um, I want to find out. I, wa- I, I, I don't want to set a limit. I want to find out. And of course, holding myself with kindness along the way, um, not judging myself or beating myself up by how I'm doing it, but more touching in with what's my intention. So even if my heart does close off, and or even if um, <clears throat> it, maybe it comes into action even in a way that perhaps I regret, you know, I snap at some, oh, whatever, we, we do. Yeah, we want to clean up our mess, right? We want to have wholesome remorse that's different than the, the kind of regret that tears you down. It's not the same thing. But a wholesome, like, yeah, feeling, no, nah, that didn't feel so good. Let it help, help, let us learn from that. So even if that happens, it never diminished your intention. Intention is still the same. But that energy was just strong. So that's one time, and the way I think of it, is it's like, um, I don't know why this image, I don't know if they, if they ever really did this, but I think of these old, you know, maybe a century or more, a century and a half ago, some whaling ship, you know, they're out in the middle of the ocean, and so they're, they're uh, sailing ships, and a big storm's coming, and there's a big main sail with its giant mast. And it's like, if you need to be on board, maybe to keep lookout, you've got to be the lookout. But, you know, the waves are going to come and, you know, it won't take much. You're going to be swept away. But what do they do? They lash you. I don't, again, I don't know if they really did it, but the image, I think, works. Lash you to the mast. And then it doesn't matter how big the wave is. It can crash over the whole thing, huge. But you don't get swept away because you're, right? And you still feel it. It's probably, if, if you really did that, it might be terrifying. It might be overwhelming. You know, you might not just be in equanimity and peace as, as, you know, you're on the thing. So it can be just like, you know, a tremendous, it could be horrible, but you didn't get swept away. That's the power of, of our intention. If, um,
it's, it's like we've driven the stake way in the ground, unshakable. And when you need it, you grab hold of that stake as a touchstone, right? And you, so you remember like whatever, you know. I'll just, I don't know people's politics in here and, you know, we, so people might be have more conservatives, liberals, whatever. I'm just guessing maybe it's a mix of both. So pick any president, depending on your politics. You may not care that much. Maybe just love them all. But uh, <laughs> let's say there was uh, a president. If you're a conservative, you can pick um, Obama or Clinton. And if you're a liberal, maybe you pick George W. Bush or whatever it works for you. It's, this isn't about right or wrong in politics here. And, um, you know, what do you do? And now it's, it's a little different because you're not directly interacting with the person, but still, that's an important, just as an example, maybe, you know, they're enacting laws that you think are terrible, or they're acting in this way, or you're let down because, you know, you thought he's going to be a liberal and he's not, or, you know, whatever. It's still a place of your heart contracting towards another being. I had this happen to me with a recent president, and I, w I don't want to get into, I don't want to trigger anyone off if you happen to have different politics than me, so I'm not going to name the president or even tell you what my politics is. You might kind of guess, but, um, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, and I was having a lot of ill will towards one particular president, right? And I was talking to someone about it, and I was saying, and I was telling them exactly, I said, you know, I've got this aspiration. I can't do it with this president. It's driving me nuts, and I, my heart's filled with ill will. And I was sharing it, so he said to me, because I have in my home a little, it's not as fancy or big as this, but it's like, a, like an altar. It's just a little beautiful little table. It's got a little Buddha. And, you know, sometimes over the years, I would get something out of the Dharma world. Someone would give me or something. It's got some just things that are meaningful. And, and, and so it's got it's just a little thing, and I can sit and meditate there. And he said, um, put a picture of so-and-so on your altar. Well, I was just shocked. Uh, <laughs> and I said to him, I, I don't think I can do it. <laughs> and he said, uh, no, really, put the picture on your altar. So I, I thought, all right, I, this is a, something I need to listen. Put it on the altar. Sat with it. What am I going to do? And then it's an exploration. And we want to explore two things. Whatever your intention is, so in this case it's about uh, uh, a, a kind, compassionate heart. I need to explore where's the block, what's blocking it, and see if that can be healed, or, and how can I actively cultivate the positive, wholesome quality? What's stopping it, and how can I cultivate the, the wholesome? And that's for anything that's stopping your intention in what, any aspect of life. And so at least I was willing, and I actually thought, okay, this is good. I'm doing what I can. I don't have to all fake it that, you know, I love everybody or whatever. I, but you know what? I can be real, respectful of that energy that's pulling me in a different way. I know what my aspiration and intention is. So let, let me find out then, where's the block? Just go right, you know, let's not mess around. Go right to it, work with it can I open and work with it? And it was really able to soften and shift in a lot of ways, and it just kind of released my heart in a lot of ways. So this is kind of the power of intention. When the energy wants us to pull us in another direction. But there are some, I'll give you a few other examples too. Because um, if we're not clear about our intention, you know, our moods are going to dictate what we do. Our opinions our likes and dislikes are going to dictate what we're going to do. So, for example, let's say you have an intention to say, okay, I'm inspired, I went on a retreat, and I'm going to really reinvigorate my meditation practice. Very, very common, very nice, I'm very supportive of you if, if that's one of yours. Very, very common. Let's just say you go home. Well, I'll tell you something that used to happen to me, doesn't happen anymore, but in my early years, um, I would, um, 
the so I grew up watching. Uh, my father fought. He was in, fought in World War II. He was an infantryman. He f- fought at the Battle of the Bulge. I think he landed on the Normandy beaches like just about a week after D-Day. So he was right in the middle of it. He was in the spearhead division. And he like, marched into Germany. Everything. He was just right in all of that. And it defined his whole life, as you understandably so. I grew up with my dad. You know, thinking of my dad. I grew up watching World War II movies and cowboy movies with my dad. Guess what happened? My mind is now programmed. If there's a World War II movie, I don't watch very much TV at all, but if there's a World War II movie or a cowboy movie on, I'm watching it. (laughs) And my wife's saying, "Um, Richard... Don't get sucked into the movie. I said, okay, I won't. <laughs> but I know what's going to happen. And this is, you know, I'm thinking years back. I don't really, I don't know what would happen. I just make a point not to watch them anymore. But um, so it's Sunday night. I used to work, you have to get up and work. He's worked in Silicon Valley for here for many years. Sunday night, I have to get up Monday morning, go to work. <clears throat> not quite ready for bed. I'm too tired really to do anything else. I just want to turn off my brain. Actually, television, I think, does it for that. It's one of the best things, I think, right? I didn't want to read. I was too tired. So I'd turn it on, flip through the channels. Oh, no. (laughs) Old John Wayne movie. They aren't even the best ones. You know. And it was from, like, the golden age of Westerns in this, like, in the 60s, too. Although there was a good one that came out a few years ago called the, uh, it's the uh, 310 or 610 to Yuma. Did any of you see that? Now, if you go see it, you gotta, it's got a lot of serious violence in it, but, but uh, that was a good Western, wasn't it? You're right, who, who said they saw it? It was good, right? It was good, it was really good. So, um, <laughs> so it's whatever. I've seen it three times. It's not a good one. The pull's there. The condition pattern's there. And I know what's going to happen. I'm sitting here being pulled into this stupid thing. It's embarrassing. I'm a Dharma. I was actually even in the teaching role back even when some of this happening. And I'm sitting here watching TV on an old cowboy movie. But the pull is there. It's a condition pattern. It's not judging myself. I know even how the pattern got there. Often we don't but so you have to look at what's real. And then I need to know what my intention is. Because I want to get up and meditate in the morning. And I know what's going to happen. Okay, it was like 10, whatever. It's going to be over at 1.30 in the morning. I'm going to get to bed at 2. I'm going to be not only tired all day, I'm going to be tired. I'm not going to meditate, say. So then you try whatever. You say, um, okay, nothing's really happening. There's a director. He's yelling, cut. No one got shot. They're not really trying to steal the ranch from the <laughs> kindly widow. You know, whatever. It's nothing's happening. <laughs> Pull is there. I remember my intention. So in the face of the pull, then I can use that as support. And at least I think I have a better chance, right? So I'm not just at the effect of things. If you, for example, want to do a more meditation in your daily life and can't do it, I cannot tell you how many people I've spoken with who suffer tremendously judging themselves. This is very common. Just given that there's 40 of us here, I know just based on previous history, statistically, there's probably a decent percentage of people here who are just brutal on themselves about how terrible you are because you can't keep your meditation practice going. That just seems to be true for people. I've just seen it so many times. I've, I've fallen into that in my life sometimes. I remember I used to, um, <clears throat> in the starting in the 1970s and through the 80s and a little into, the, I know into the 90s too, I used to be very active in bringing meditation and dharma into prisons. I actually started several in some of the couple of the state prisons programs that are still going to this day. 
And we had a program in one, there's a pro prison here in California near uh, Salinas, it's called um, Salinas Valley State Prison, it's what's called a level four prison. That's the worst, most intense. The, and, and, and Salinas Valley has some people who are among the worst of the worst. People who've actually committed crimes in other prisons go here. It's just the kind of place they make movies about, you know, of like the worst prisons. So we had a very uh, vibrant Dharma group going, <coughs> quite a number of men. A lot of them really sincere guys. Well, this as can happen in any prison, and in particularly in this one, there's often some kind of violent incident. Somebody stabs someone else, or there's a fight, or things happen. It doesn't happen necessarily every day, but it, it, it can happen. And when it happens, they have a lockdown until they kind of they want things to calm down. They want to investigate. Lockdowns can last anywhere from a day or two up to a couple of months. So um, there was one lockdown, it lasted two months. So and when a lockdown means you don't get out of your cell for those two months, you're fed in your cell, those cells are not that big. And uh, they take you out twice a week, one at a time to, um, to shower twice a week. Otherwise you're just in there 24 seven. By the way, hearing that, you might notice it may or may not affect your heart from compassion. I mean, a lot of these guys put themselves in there. I mean, they did some terrible things. And, you know, and then what was the conditioning in their life that led to them acting in that way? It just opens up a whole realm of... Anyway, but um, so after the two months was over and the lockdown was over, we could go in and run our group again. So these guys, remember, they're sitting in their cell all day long. And, you know, they have some TVs and some radios, but you know, there's probably not that much to do. Come back, and we check in. I say, okay, you know, well, how are you doing? You know, I know it's been a lockdown, and we went around, and as you can imagine, some guys, it was just really rough. And some, they just dealt with it okay. They're kind of used to it. They just kind of went with it. And then I said, how's your meditation practice going? So we went around, and one guy said, I just couldn't find time to practice. <laughs> and I love that because it's like, it's not just me. There's something about the... Hu <laughs> you know, you're not doing anything wrong. There's something about because life fills in and regardless if it's, we judge it to be it might be you really have the demands of, <laughs> of um, you have the demands of a job and families and your life is just full and it's hard, right? And it may just be that it's the pull of the, the TV that's conditioned in your mind. But just to recognize that these are real forces that pull us. And so that's another kind of example as we get out in the world, staying connected with our intention. Okay. <clears throat> um, the Buddha is quoted as um, talking about uh, conceit. And there's what's called these three, three kinds of conceit. So one is... If you think you're better than somebody, we can all relate to that. That's considered conceit. <clears throat> it gets interesting. If you think you're equal to someone, that's a conceit. And if you think you're less than someone, that's a conceit. Isn't that interesting? It's a different way of thinking about the conceit. It's the kind of the conceit of, uh, um, of a self-referential way of being. It's like an I am and I'm, you know, and so we're, uh, I am in relationship, if you will. And so to step out of that, steps out of that whole paradigm. It's not, a, if we can step out of it, step out of that way of operating in comparison to, it gets back into a likes and dislikes and our evaluations of things, which is very different than, a, than living with equanimity and, be, and to not be in, in contention with life, right? So anyway, we could go on and on. That topic of conceit's actually, I think, quite profound. But So in a way, the, so many of us judge ourselves by how well or poorly, or you could say good or bad, you think you're doing it, whatever, whatever it is, and we judge ourselves. 
and I mentioned the other night, I think it was one of the question periods, that I would like to suggest that oftentimes we're the least qualified to judge ourselves. First of all, the Buddha's suggesting not that we lose uh, a wise discernment, but the judging and, you know, as we've said here in the unhelpful suffering generating variety isn't so helpful. Don't do it. But since we're going to judge ourselves some oftentimes anyway, I would like to propose that a more authentic or accurate criteria is not by how good or bad you judge yourself to show up. It's by your intention. And we've talked about, you know, I named, it's true, and you can name the kind of intentions that we all know. I just know, I've, uh, it's not just because you're here. Having met with every single person here, everyone here, just is filled with wholesome, I mean, just profound, deep, good intentions, wholesome intentions from a Dharma perspective. And so if you, if you go on automatic pilot and you forget and you fall back in a conditioned pattern and act in a way it's unskillful, well, that's your conditioning. That's what we're working on and we're doing the best we can. What's more fundamentally true and, and less shakable <laughs> is your intention. So if you want to um, evaluate yourself, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm talking to uh, your critical mind right now because you part of you knows this but your critical mind might not know and I know what I'm saying may bounce off the critical mind but um, maybe part can hear it try to remember if you can and that's why it's important in addition to coming to know how we create suffering it's important also to know what's right and good and wholesome in us right you know, if you only look at the suffering, you're looking at half the picture. You, you, but it's it's not the whole picture because there's the parts that uh, that um, not only don't create suffering, but are but are wholesome and skillful and right and good. So we want to know those too, and your intention is part of that. So we want to f- uh, make sure we're holding ourselves with a more accurate um, a perception. In, <clears throat> in the Pali texts, there is a lot of water imagery. I don't know, maybe people have studied, like, why is that? I don't know, but it shows up all kinds of different places. And a lot of the similes they use are quite beautiful. A lot of water imagery. And one of the image, images is what I think Gil mentioned it briefly. It's called entering the stream or being a stream enterer. There's a model of what they call stages of enlightenment. We're not going to get into that here. But in the tradition, that's the model that's used for if you come to enlightenment. And it happens in these four stages. And the first stage is uh, what they call it stream enterer. And the idea of it is that when you reach that stage, um, you're so, I think you could think of it as being so deeply immersed in the stream of the Dharma that it's just going to carry you to enlightenment and there's really no going back because you've, you're so, it's like if you're in a big river and you pay a Mississippi River and you paddle out to the middle, you're, you're going to be in the ocean, right? It's, you don't have, it's because it's going to carry you. It's interesting because what I talked about, about conceit, if I remember correctly, my, maybe uh, you could correct me if I'm wrong, I think that one doesn't drop away until the, the final stage of, right, final stage of enlightenment. So if you're still falling into some conceit, you could be first, second, third stages of enlightenment. So, so don't be too hard on yourself. <laughs> it's one of the last to go. So you want to bring awareness to what's happening, but you don't have to, you know, be tearing yourself down about it. Like, give yourself a break. You can be a stream enter and there's still some conceit in there. So I like this image of entering the stream and what I want to propose to you, in, and this is not really the traditional way, but I, I think it's accurate. Every one of us in our way or in that, I like to think are in the process of entering the stream. 
right? Forget about, well, technically what's a stream enter. We're putting ourselves into the stream of Dharma. And you know, you, I don't know how you experience it. You might, some people might be dipping their toe in, test the water. Some people may, oh, this, I like Dharma, it's good. Maybe go in, maybe you're wading in. Maybe you're just dunked under and swimming around and whatever, but we're all in that process. And I say that to you because I hope when you really reflect on it as we're uh, moving towards, you know, the, what the, we're still here and we've got plenty of time to be here, but you know, it's gonna come and go and we're gonna be heading home. That rather than falling what I, into what I did, driving home in tears, and if it happens, okay, that's what's happening, it's fine. Clinging to your samadhi or, or, or whatever, or, or that you can take heart Staying in touch with the, the beauty of your intention. I mean, take a moment right now. Isn't it? Doesn't it feel good when you... Th- does it? I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say doesn't it. To know like, like you know, I want to live in a way that's m- where my heart's more open. Feel the goodness of it. Where I'm less reactive and more wisely responsive. Yeah? You can do your own, do it, take time to do it, feel the good. It's not egotistical to feel what's good. We're all in the process of entering the stream, and I mentioned earlier, in whatever way you direct your attention or your mind, that's what strengthens. So guess what? It's not possible. Let's see, I'm going to say, I'm going to use a double negative, but hopefully you'll, this is, it's not possible that you won't become more wise and skillful and kind and loving and awake. It's not possible because you're putting, that's where you're directing your attention. Yeah, you've got old patterns, conditioned patterns that can light up. Okay, welcome to the club. We've all got them. That's what we're working on. But it's like uh, you know, if there's a big oil t- super o- oil super tanker you know, out in the middle of the ocean, say it's going north, and what are those things? I think they're as long as, I don't know what, a few football fields long? They're huge, loaded up with oil. Can you imagine how heavy that thing is? And so it's got a lot of momentum heading in a certain direction. And then decide they want to, turn 90 degrees from north and they want to go west. You know, with all that momentum going north, you probably have to plan, like, I don't know how far ahead, a day, a few hours, something. And then you have to have calculated, when do you start turning the rudder to get it around and it'll start, you're turning the rudder and it's still going north. What's going on? Well, they know nothing's going wrong. There's a lot of momentum heading north and eventually it starts lumbering around and then, and it's hard, but it makes it more and more. And once it's going west, that's the way the momentum's going. How long have you spent in your life at the effect of, on automatic pilot, from all your conditioned patterns that create suffering? How long? For most of us, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. You didn't do anything wrong. You're living in life the best you can. We got a lot of momentum heading in that direction. When you start to make shifts, some things can shift. They aren't the size of a, some of them are like the size of a little speedboat and they can turn pretty quickly. But other parts of us are, are the super tanker. They go deep, these patterns. So, we don't want to judge it by, oh, my same old conditioned pattern still hanging around. It's not a good way to view it. It's knowing that it's like um, I'm doing the best I can to know what do I need to do to turn in a new direction, and I'm applying it. And so if we take, if we can be more relaxed, yeah, it's not great when we create suffering. Okay, sure. Doesn't feel so good. But be willing even to, to, to be present with that. Yep, I did act in a... We don't have to beat ourselves up about that. I did act in a way that, whatever, created this way. Yeah, I did. Doesn't feel good. Yeah. 
we just can recognize what happened. Hold it the best you can with some spaciousness and know that I'm still working on steering that big old oil tanker around, uh, changing these deep condition patterns, and that's what we're working on. So, and just to keep that analogy going, if the engines are working on the oil tanker and they do turn the steering wheel for the rudder, is it possible for it to keep going north? It's not possible. Yeah. Is it? Nobody's answering. No. <laughs> not possible. It's got to turn around. You're directing yourself the best you can given your life circumstances. You don't have to be perfect. That's the good news. Is it possible for you not to make shifts for the good, for your own greater good? I don't think so. This can fool us a little because using my analogy of, you know, entering the stream and by the time you're out, say you really have entered the stream, you're in the middle of the Mississippi River and you see, you know, Mississippi River flows from north to south. <clears throat> so you think, okay, I'm going south and you're sitting there in your boat and you've got your compass. Well, I, I was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. They call it the Bluff City. It's on the bluff right above the Mississippi. And if you go up in an airplane and look at the, um, the river, it's got a lot of bends and curves in it, a lot. <clears throat> and there are actually places where it goes south, and it actually bends completely 180 degrees, and it's actually going north a little bit. So we're, we're just kind of caught or immersed in the experience of our lives. So we're going along our lives, think we're going south, and then our life situation changes, and it's like, wait a minute, I'm not going south at all. I'm going north. <laughs> so we'll have in the, you know, it's not like it's an unbroken straight line to Nibbana, right? We have, well, actually, that's not a good, I think it is an unbroken straight line to Nibbana. But as we experience it, we have ups and downs. Um, we, we don't see the whole picture, but if you could fly up in, uh, of a, of, and get the bigger perspective over your life, you'd see that, yeah, that's how life goes sometimes. But in the big picture, we're heading only one way. And I just want to leave you with that so that we don't despair. I don't, I don't know if anybody is, but that we um, uh, can gladden our hearts knowing that it's our intention that really is, not, is, is carrying us. Joseph Goldstein once told me that um, after I had, actually what I did was so minuscule you wouldn't even notice it, but in the context of long retreat it felt like, because you're so sensitive, and he said, listen, there's no, he's long given up the idea that there's anything, such a thing as a perfect intention, perfect motivation. So try to hold it lightly, we do the best we can. If you fall flat on your face, get up, dust yourself on and move forward. We don't have to be perfect. So for the last five minutes, I would like to invite you to participate in a very short reflection. And if you don't want to do it, then you can just sit quietly uh, practicing mindfulness of breathing. <clears throat> and this is going to be a reflection around intention. And I'm going to offer four reflections. And each one, they're very short, just a phrase or half a sentence each. And I'll say each one in two or three different ways because sometimes, you know, saying it one way lands or connects better than another way. And then, we'll, just because of time, maybe we'll really only have about 30 seconds to sit in silence with each one. And you may have a sense of something. If these are important, you may want to then take uh, more time, you know, in your life uh, to really explore them more fur f fully, but I hope this will prime the pump. Don't try to memorize these, don't worry, because at the end of the retreat, just come see me and I'll tell them to you. <clears throat> so here's, and try to stay connected, feel what happens in your body, um, and in my heart and mind also when, when, you, when you hear these. What is your, the highest intention or at highest or deepest 
intentions or aspirations for your life. Or you could say, um, what is most of most deep fundamental importance for how you live and for, for how you, where you, who you are? You could say, what do you want your life to be about in the deepest or highest sense? That's the first reflection. So you can let that one go out of your mind. The second reflection. When you look at the actuality, the reality of your life, when you look at how you're actually living and being, in what ways or in what areas of your life or to what extent is there some gap or disconnect between how you're actually being or living and your highest or deepest intentions or aspirations? In what ways or in what areas is, is there some disconnect or gap? The third reflection, in whatever areas of your life or to whatever extent there is a disconnect or gap between your highest aspirations and intentions and the reality, why is there a gap? What, 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 are the, what causes that? What are the forces or things or situations that tend to pull you in a way so that you're, not, you're you know, kind of pulled away, not so connected with, with living in, you're not living in a way in harmony with your highest intention. Why is that? And the last reflection, what would support you to close up the gap? What would support you to live so that, you know, the reality, the actuality, your lived experience is more deeply, comes from the place, it's in harmony, it's, it's right out of your deepest and highest intention more, more deeply more of the time? What would support you? those are big questions and maybe 20 to 30 seconds each is <laughs> doesn't quite do them justice but um, maybe for some people you already have a felt sense you kind of or it, it'd be worth maybe possibly maybe it's worth a lifetime of inquiry uh, right so you have to see for yourself um, so I hope this the reflection was of use uh, I hope just that the topic around, you know, just 
getting us in touch with our intentions was of use. And the idea of, of, of actually being in touch with our intentions and our aspirations, not, of course, to support us when we need it, but also as a way to gladden our hearts and minds so we don't get caught in judgment and self-criticism um, in, uh, about how good or bad we think we're showing up, but really staying also, that's part of it, but staying in touch with what's more fundamentally true for each of us.